Good, after, good evening, everybody. This is Scott Morganroth, and welcome to another edition of the Sports Exchange on the South Florida Tribune Broadcasting Network. We have a great sh show in store for you. First of all, I'm going to go over our guests, and then we're going to get to the first one. Ryan Skolrud will lead it off. He'll be followed by Anthony Wood. Melfar Jr. will talk about some NFL topics and the Atlanta Braves. And we welcome a new person to the uh, program tonight. His name is Damon Knight, and he'll go over some top headlines. With that said, Ryan, well, welcome back to another edition. We have a lot of good stuff in store, don't we, buddy? Yes, we do. And, Scott, thank you again, as always, for having me on the show. My pleasure. Ryan, you're always a pleasure. So, let's talk about some fantasy football. All right. And you talked about McCaffrey's insane pace in 2019. Unfortunately, I am par I'm I go up against my brother-in-law that has this guy opposite of me. Oh, I hope he doesn't have a good week, but I wouldn't be surprised if he does. So let's talk about Mr. McCaffrey, Ryan. Well, um, this is this is something that if you if for those of you who may remember in the beginning of the season or in the preseason. Um, there was some talk with the with the Panthers coaching staff um, that made it into the news that there was a possibility that they were going to possibly limit Christian McCaffrey's um, his his snaps and his carries near the goal line. He may lose some goal line carries just to kind of rest his body and keep him fresh throughout the season. Um, that has very much not been the case, and here and here's here's some stats to go along with that. Okay. Um, in terms of the running back Panthers snaps so far through four weeks, Christian McCaffrey has had 264 of the running back snaps. Reggie Bonifon has had four of the running back snaps, and everyone else has had zero. That means that Christian McCaffrey has had 98.5% of the snaps at the running back position for the for the Panthers. Now that being said, so he's not he's obviously not getting pulled at the goal line. Now we get into a little bit deeper. Currently, he is on pace for 344 carries, not touches, carries. 344 carries, 100 catches. You put those together, that's 400 and 444 total touches. Um, in 2017, I want to say, I believe that uh, Le'Veon Bell finished with, I want to say it was 407, and everyone thought that was ridiculous, just how many carries, he, or just how many touches he had. Right now, McCaffrey's on pace for more than that. He's on pace for almost 450 touches, carries and catches combined. And then you look at the total total yards. You know, you think about a couple weeks ago when when they got absolutely just stopped up. The Panthers did by um, the Tampa Bay Bucks defense. I, I want to say Christian McCaffrey in half point fantasy only scored like six and a half points. Just was not a very good game for him. Even with that, he is on pace for twenty five hundred total yards wow. from two thousand five hundred sixteen. The record NFL record was set by Chris Johnson when he ran for two thousand. He caught for 500 yards also that season. So Chris Johnson has a record in, 20, in 2009, 2,509 yards. Right now, Christian McCaffrey is on pace to beat that by seven yards. That's the kind of season that Christian McCaffrey is having. Um, a lot of, uh, I know I was one 
um, one of many people that advocated for Christian McCaffrey to likely, especially in PPR type leagues, to be the number one overall pick, even over someone like Saquon Barkley. This is the kind of use that shows why that is the case. So, um, again, it's just the, the stats that he is putting up are just absolutely ridiculous. And he doesn't seem to be slowing down. He's not really, he hasn't really been slowed down at all from, from wear and tear over the last couple of years. He's had a lot of, really a lot of miles on the tires, um, you know, even in college. Um, it's just that he's, he is on pace for, for a phenomenal season. For those who are able to get him in the draft, uh, well done. All right, let me add a little something to these insane numbers that you just went ahead and gave me. Number one, you know who his uh, workload reminds me of? I'll give you the initials uh, a few years back. R.W. R.W., how far back are you going? Well, going back a little ways, which is probably why you won't get it anyways. That's where the old gray hairs come into play. (laughs) So... The name is Ricky Williams, and he played under Dave Wonstadt, and that's why he didn't want to become the next Earl Campbell and uh, or the Walker and Canes. And that's why Ricky decided to step away, knowing that the usage was that much. And I, I know that Ricky Williams is the best running back that the Dolphins have had in many years. He really has. So, you know, all I can... Yeah, that and he liked, that and he liked weed enough that, you know... He didn't care if he didn't have to play football anymore. Well, that's true. I mean, there long before there was cannabis where it was legal, Ricky Williams got ahead of the curve and decided <laughs> to do it anyways. But he didn't want to be uh, like Earl Campbell. And my only hope for Christian McCaffrey is he doesn't get so beat up that we're not talking to him uh, too much about him medically, which we which so many running backs have had to endure the punishment that they have had. Correct. So, I don't know when you when you throw numbers like that at me. What do you think I'm going to say? <laughs> yeah, I just I just looked up for sure. It was uh, Le'Veon Bell had 406 touches in 2017, and what his his big contract dispute and he missed all 2018 was it was the you know it was his his franchise tag season, and he was afraid that the um that they were, you know, with the franchise tag, that they were just going to use him up and just give him touch after touch after touch. He was afraid they were going to give him 450 touches. Why don't you Why don't you look up Ricky Williams' numbers in terms of carry? Uh, let Go me ahead. pull up that real quick. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to hear those. I mean, I think it's pretty good stuff. I know we have a few other things we want to get to, but you really brought an insane pace. Now we're going to get some insane numbers for those individuals that are listening, and then we'll go on to our next subject in a moment. Yeah, he had, yeah, in 2003, he had, well, good grief. In yeah, 2003, exactly. he had 430 touches. Right. So that was, uh, he had 380 <laughs> rushes and 52, or sorry, and 47 receptions. Okay. And then in 2003, he had 442 touches. Right. So 392 carries and uh, and 50 receptions. So, yeah, he, he got used a ton as well. Well, I just like the two words you just said, okay, Ryan? Good grief. End of story. Okay? That You just made my point for me. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. So, with that said, let's go on to Mike Evans. His first two weeks were not going to be the norm. Explain what that means. So, for those of... Here's the thing about Mike Evans. Um, After the first two weeks, there was a lot of um, concern about whether or not Mike, Mike Evans was still going to be the guy and still produce the right numbers for fantasy. 
Um, you know, there had been a lot of a lot of hype about Chris Godwin in the preseason, and then when we hit into the season, Godwin kind of took off right off the bat, and Mike Evans struggled the first couple weeks. Um, what people I, I think fail to realize is just how sick um, Mike Evans was those first two weeks. In week one, he had caught a flu bug that apparently had been going around the Bucks camp, like a bunch of guys had caught it. And he just happened to have it catch it like three or four days before the first game of the season. Um, they thought that he was somewhat over it, but he wanted to work through it and play in the first game, anyways. And not many people caught it, but there were a couple. There were a couple video shots of him hurling his guts out on the bench while the defense was out there before he went back out in order to play play offense again. So he was not right week one. Week two. Kind of the same thing. He was still he was still getting his strength back for the most part. Um, you know, still trying to, to get fluids back. And then in week three, what do you know? He blows up for you know, what was 170, 180 yards and, and three touchdowns. Right. And then last week, still against against the, the Rams, still has a solid week as well. Well, you know, kind of overshadowed by Chris Godwin. However, um, you know, over those first two weeks, you know, he he was had the stomach bug. Not feeling great, but over the past two weeks, week three and week four, he's drawn 89 more air yards than any other NFL player. So in terms of catching the ball and total air yards, he is far and above 90 yards beyond anyone else. So he is basically right now, he is the best deep ball guy in the league, period. So how do you, um, how do you he's, think? He's currently on, and he's currently on pace for 140 targets. And in fantasy football, especially when you have PPR, half-point PPR, targets are huge because that's opportunity to catch more balls. This is the most targets he will have received at this current pace that he has received since 2016. How do you, how do you think Chris Godwin's going to fare this week? Oh, man. Who are the Bucks? I don't have the schedule in front of me. Who are the Bucks playing this week? Aren't they playing the Saints, I believe, aren't they? Yeah, the Saints. Here's the thing. that I think that Godwin can do pretty well. The, uh, this, the the main um, the main what uh, corner uh, for New Orleans is Marshawn Lattimore, who he's mainly going to be shadowing, in my opinion, Mike Evans. Okay. Um, the overall, I want to say that New Orleans is in the bottom ten, as in as in the worst ten in terms of giving up fantasy points to the wide receiver position, and so. For the most part, wide receivers have done pretty well against the Saints offense. It's the run game that they have, re- or against Saints defense, it's the run game that they've done a really, really good job of shutting down. And so, um, while they did, they did for the most part shut down the the Cowboys offense. Um, you know, the the Seahawks offense put up a whole bunch of points against them. The Rams obviously, obviously did pretty well against against them. I want to say Cooper Cup had a had a phenomenal game against against the Saints. So there there are some weaknesses beyond uh, after Marshawn Lattimore. There are some weaknesses in that defense in the secondary that will provide opportunities for guys like Chris Godwin to have um, at least a solid week. Well, Maybe not necessarily you know putting up thirty eight points like he did this last week. Well, you mentioned Cooper Cup, so let's talk about him right now. You talked about a phenomenal comeback from a torn ACL. I'll go into that further. this year going into the season about Cooper Cup um, having torn his ACL I want to say in week 8 or week 9 whether or not he was going to be you know full strength coming back I am one of the believers in Cooper Cup uh, and here's why um, 
I was advocating for him all in the all in the off season. Once he said he was healthy, I believe that he was still going to be the guy for LA. And the reason is, is he's never had to depend on his speed. He was one of those guys that in the combine kind of fell just a little bit because no one was really impressed because he had four what was that I want to say four ran like a four five eight or four five nine at the combine in, in his forty like well, he doesn't really have the breakaway speed. We thought he'd be better than this. His his ability um, as a wide receiver has always been in his route running. Um, you think back, here's a guy that you would know. Um, you think back to guys like Steve Largent. Steve Largent wasn't yeah. the biggest, he wasn't the fastest guy. But he could run a route and, and hit sharp angles and get in and out of his cuts better than anyone. And that's kind of what Cooper Cup does. Is he's not he's not going to blaze by you. He can you know in the end get some breakaway speed, but he's not going to just from the get go fly past you. He is going to make his cuts, um, get get in and out of his cut very very quickly, and provide those open spaces for Jared Goff. Now since Cup has entered the league, he has been Goff's favorite target. Goff goes to him over and over and over again. Cup is his security blanket in the slot. Right. And we've seen that the first two years. And we are now seeing that again that Cooper Cup is back. So um, what, a couple of the things that have, that have happened for Cup is he right now he is leading all wide receivers in terms of yards after contact. Right. So after contact, he has 109 total yards on the season. I want to say the wide receiver that led that last year was Juju Smith-Schuster with about 700 yards after contact. Uh Cooper Cup right now is on pace for about 410, 420. Wow. So that's, that's, a, that's a solid solid amount right there. And the and the other stat for Cooper Cup is he is one of, I want to say, six wide receivers at this point receiving 20% of the target share for his offense. So, Okay. Well, let's go on to Chris Carson's great game. Chris Carson, uh, finally, this year, in, in his fourth game, had a game where he didn't fumble the ball. There was a lot of concern, especially amongst fantasy owners. Okay, is Chris Carson going to lose this job to Rashad Penny? Um, you know, three fumbles in three weeks. Actually, I think it was four fumbles, three of them lost in three weeks. Is this really going to be, you know, is Chris Carson going to lose this job? And they, the Seahawks have done a good job of, of reinforcing that, that Carson is the guy. He is going to be the one. And this last week, um, he had he was absolutely phenomenal. One of the things that, that really stuck out was the fact that he either caused, I think it was 21 either missed or broken tackles just in this last game on Sunday against the Arizona Cardinals. Now, part of that speaks to just how bad the Cardinals' defense is. But um, but Carson, you know, had, I want to say on runs, he broke or, or caused 18 missed tackles. And on his three re- and on his receptions, um, broke or caused three uh, three more tackles. Um, so you know, twenty one total missed tackles in a game, just of Chris Carson. That doesn't count, you know, the tight ends that got away, the wide receivers that got away for extra yards and stuff. So um, again, part of it goes to the, um, the the ineptitude for the most part of that Cardinal defense and and. Again, it's partially a testament to Chris Carson because not only did he break all those tackles, he didn't lose the ball at all. Right. Um, not even a no, not even a, a losing the ball after the whistle had blown. 
the guy never dropped the ball the entire game, and just his his ability to really come back after really a a terrible first three games, come back, have over 100 rushing yards, um, you know, and you know, break 21 tackles and just be the beast that everyone expected him to be. Um, I think is really a a good sign for things to come for for fantasy owners knowing that the Seahawks want to continue to try to establish the run and ride Chris Carson as much as they can. All right, let's go from Chris Carson to Devontae Adams' injury. Uh, I think the Packers are fortunate that that injury wasn't as bad as it appeared to be. Yeah, with with Devontae Adams, you know, they it's this is a shame, really, because uh, Devontae Adams was one of those guys that, like, uh, I was one that figured that that predicted him to be the number one uh, overall fantasy wide receiver by the end of the season. Now, he had to, obviously he had to stay healthy the whole time. All season over for that to happen. But then when you start out this first three games and just there's no there's no target share, there's no um, no consistency in that Green Bay offense. I mean, it was it was sort of run heavy, but at the same time, they couldn't even decide which running back they wanted to pick. And so, I mean, it goes back to, you know, Matt LaFleur's, in my opinion, struggles with Tennessee when he couldn't decide whether to use Derrick Henry or Deion Lewis. Um, and so now they've, they've somewhat got a little bit of clarity. And they finally decided, yeah, four targets probably is not enough for Devontae Adams. We should probably get our number one offensive weapon, you know, other than, other than Aaron Rodgers. We should probably get him the ball more. And look what happens. 15 targets, 10 catches, 180 yards. Right. And then you know you got it looked what looked like it looked like he got his toes stepped on a little bit or something some, in the kind of the way he came down. Um, I think in the end they 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 called it turf toe mm-hmm. is what the injury actually is I believe. Right. It's a, it's a strain in his toe. He is going to most likely miss this game against the Cowboys, which is really, in my opinion, a, a big damper for the for the um, Green Bay offense. However, this is a little bit of a boost for Jimmy Graham. I think that he is a good streaming option for this week. Uh, I want to say on Yahoo, before you know, before waivers go in, he's only 37% owned in Yahoo leagues. He's about 35% owned on on uh, on uh, ESPN leagues. Right. So I think that that them wanting to establish the pass to some of their uh, better players. I mean, Marquez Valdez Scantling is good, but he's not going to carry a team. I think if they can get the ball more to Jimmy Graham, and then when he comes back healthy, Devontae Adams, they'll be in good shape. But this this kind of puts a damper, a little bit more of a damper, on Adams' ability to to put up good numbers for at least a couple more weeks. Well, one would think that they definitely miss Randall Cobb, don't you think? You would think, yes. Um, with I, Here's the thing. Randall Cobb struggled to stay healthy. And then even when he was healthy last year, Marquez Valdez Scantling outplayed him, um, and even he, the first you take the first four weeks before Geronimo Allison got injured, Geronimo Allison was outplaying. Him. After four games, Allison was on pace for twelve hundred yards and eight touchdowns. So I mean, he had played really well, and then you know now that they've in, involved Marquez Valdez Scantling a little bit more into the offense, he's kind of taken over that that number two role, and you know Allison is more the slot guy. But, again, going back to the offensive philosophy where they're trying to be more run-heavy, we'll kind of see how that plays out and what's going to work best for, for the Green Bay offense. Okay, since we're on the Chiefs' head situation, just an update. Uh, the Milwaukee Brewers 
lead two to nothing over the Washington Nationals into the first inning. So that update came across our desk. Brewers lead the Nationals by a score of two to nothing. All right, I got two more questions. First of all, uh, what, let's talk about Golden Tate's return from a four-game PED suspension. Do you feel he'll be a factor with Daniel Jones uh, under center? I think that he can be a factor with Daniel Jones. The question is, how are they going to utilize Golden Tate? Because right. his entire career, he's been a slot receiver. Well, they already have a slot receiver in Sterling Shepard, who's played, I want to say, 70%, 70 to 79% of his, of his uh, snaps have been out of the slot. I don't think that they'll move Shepard out to the outside because that's not really the type of receiver he is. And Golden Tate isn't really a, an outside receiver either. So I think he can be he can be productive. I think it, at this point, you know, I don't think he's the thousand yard guy that he used to be um, with with the Lions. I think that he could still, as of this point, missing a quarter of the season. I think he could. He could probably still put up, you know, 600 yards over the next, you know, over the next uh, 12 weeks. So, you know, about 50 yards a week, maybe come down with, you know, four or five, four or five, six touchdowns over the season. So that's, that's respectable. It's, you know, wide receiver, you know, three kind of a flex play weekly. Um, I think with having Daniel Jones as his quarterback is going to help other than having Eli Manning. Jones has a, a fresher arm, a better arm, stronger arm, right. uh, more accurate. And so, you know, really, really, Daniel Jones, we're just working on the, 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 the mental side of it and not making the rookie mistakes with, with throwing into coverages or, or fumbling the ball. So I think that, that Tate can be a, in deeper leagues, he can be a solid fantasy football asset. If you're only playing in like an 8-10 to 10 team league, I wouldn't even bother picking up Golden Tate. You're going to have much better, a much better production out of, out of other players. So. Okay, well, that's good to know. So, all right, let's talk about Melvin Gordon. Uh, he didn't have a carry on Sunday against the Miami Dolphins. But at what point do you think Melvin Gordon will make an impact? Uh, I'm, I'm still hesitant to say that he's going to make a huge impact this next week. I think that he will make some sort of impact. Um, you know, I just saw a, 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 an article up on, on Google that uh, Austin Eckler still wants to be the starter. And he's played well enough to be the starter. Let's be honest. He has played very, very well. Um, I want to say in terms of fantasy production, he's still like a top, I want to say he's like number four or five, or he's in the top five in terms of, um, in terms of fantasy production. I think that Gordon is eventually going to be the starter again. It may be a few more, it may be two to three more weeks before that happens, just to make sure that he's in game shape, game shape. Um, and involved, you know, fully involved in the offense. So um, I think that he will eventually be the guy. And for those that drafted him and were willing to hold on to him and could do all right with their fantasy teams until he came back, they should be set up for a good rest of the season. Okay, well, that's fair. All right. At what point or another do people start taking Gardner Minshew the second seriously before he starts getting picked up by uh, uh, fantasy owners? going to depend completely on the the size of league that you have Uh, i have a i'm in a 16 team super flex league so a super flex means that again means that um that 
you can have a, a second quarterback as one of your flex players. That uh, that's a special that's a specialty league, really, to be completely honest. So, um, in those cases, you know, he's obviously going to need to be owned. Um, he's going to be he should be owned in two quarterback leagues. Um, I think here's the I want to say right now I'm looking at it. He is quarterback number. See, in ter- I think he's like in terms of fantasy production, he's about quarterback. 16 so i mean he's still he's still somewhat usable he's he's for the most part um a matchup dependent for right now um just a couple of names that he is out well really only one big name that he's outscored so far he's outscored uh, baker mayfield on the season and he has outscored andy dalton and aaron Rodgers and jared goff so far on this fantasy season um he's right behind uh, Josh Allen of Buffalo, and Tom Brady of New England, and Kyler Murray of Arizona. So uh, he's put up okay numbers. Uh, again, he's still matchup dependent on because of the how good some of these other quarterbacks are and the type of seasons that they are having. He is a he is a deeper league streaming option, or if a, in a two quarterback league, um, he should be owned as a second quarterback. Okay, and one other final note. Uh, we have probably about two minutes left before Anthony Wood uh, comes on. But why don't you go ahead and preview, Ryan, uh, what's ahead for our weekly show, uh, Fantasy Football with Ryan Skorud, for tomorrow night's broadcast. Well, in tomorrow in tomorrow night's broadcast, um, we will be going over some of the matchups I do and don't like for uh, this next week in fantasy football. Um, we will be looking a little bit at um, some of the value plays or uh, for DFS this week um, that I've been kind of looking into, whether it be on Yahoo or on DraftKings, for those of you who play DFS. So that's, that's for the most part, that's kind of be a, a, what we're going over. Um, and we'll, we'll, dig into, we'll dig into some of the nitty-gritty and some of the stats as far as some players are concerned and um, who we should be um, afraid of continuing to play and who we should be a little more bullish on uh, in terms of whether they're on still on waivers or uh, or guys that are maybe on the cusp of becoming big time players. So are you saying to the audience out there that you might have a few sleeper picks that they might might want to think about? There's a possibility that I might have. I, again, digging into the stats and kind of seeing where 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 things are pointing, but there there could be a, a sleeper pick or two in there. Hey, listen, you know what? Like I said. You know, you know your stuff there, and uh, one and one thing that came to mind while well, we have another minute or so, uh, just give me a short minute answer. How does Leonard Fournette do against the Carolina Panthers in North Carolina? I think he runs pretty well. I think the the offensive line is finally getting getting themselves in gear. Um, you know, putting up 225 rushing yards this last week. Again, I'm not. I'm not personally a huge fan of Leonard Fournette. I think that his hamstrings are too volatile. <laughs> I'm just waiting. I, I'm sitting back and waiting for, for one of them to go so that Reichwell Armstead takes over the job. Um, I, he is a very talented player when healthy. Okay. And oh. I think that, you know, seeing him at the end of that game on Sunday really getting in his in his lineman's face because his lineman was, was getting into the face of some of the defenders – and really, just trying to tell his, you know, tell get, taking on a leadership role and telling one of his own guys to get his head back in the game and, you know, do what's right for the team. 
I think shows a, a great amount of growth, even from last year where he was getting into fights and everything, you know, on the sideline and everything. Mm-hmm. So um, I like seeing the growth uh, in terms of the leadership. Again, it just in terms of how healthy can he stay? Because he's had health issues right. all, going all the way back to being at LSU. All right, well, we'll wrap it up right there for but just one little update. The team that used to be the Seattle Pilots, the Milwaukee Brewers, now have a 3 to nothing lead. The uh, Brewers have all their runs via the home run. So a two-run home run the first and another solo shot here in the second inning. So, all right, Ryan, thanks for being on, and we will pick this conversation up tomorrow. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate you. All right, thanks for having me on the show again. You're very welcome. Our pleasure. Thank you. So as we wait for Anthony Wood to come on the program, he's got some pretty interesting updates that are in store for us. I, I think the one thing that a lot of things that we're kind of wondering about is Vontaze Perfect, who is proving that he's going to lose a lot of money if he keeps taking cheap shots. So, you know, Anthony's going to go over that, and he has a lot of other interesting notes in store. So looking forward to having him on momentarily. Uh, but meanwhile, it's it's interesting that we have the Milwaukee Brewers taking on the Washington Nationals, and I just find it unbelievable that, uh, you know, here we are, the baseball postseason is upon us. So, uh, you know, but again, this is one of those kind of things where we have a lot going on, uh, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, being able to uh, go ahead and uh, keep you... Uh, uh, inform, but another thing I should point out is uh, Anthony Wood is on the South Florida Tribune hotline. And Anthony, thank you very much for being on the program, buddy. What kind of good Absolutely. stuff for you? Do you How have? Are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you for the call. Glad to have you on the big show. Absolutely, couldn't be more excited to talk NFL as always. Well, you're good at it, so we're going to give you the floor. How's that sound, Anthony? Since he was in London with the Raiders and he heard of a suspension and headed home, that must have been one expensive airplane trip back home, wasn't it, Anthony? That's your neck of the woods, pal. Let's be honest, I'm sure he can afford it. 
despite the fact I read earlier on, I think it was Adam Schefter who posted that throughout his career, because of all these suspensions and therefore missed games, he's, it's costed just over $5 million so far. These suspensions, it's, it's a ridiculous sum of money he's, uh, he's lost out on now, but that's what you get if you, if you play with the bull, you get the horns, I suppose. Well, it seems like players are losing a lot of money in a lot of different ways. Antonio Brown has found a way to cough up his fortune with his uh, immature antics. I'm not going to get into any details of them. Jalen Ramsey is becoming a bit of a distraction, too. And uh, But then this guy here. I remember when Ndamukong Sue got drafted by the Lions, and you know he was considered a dirty player. But, you know, it's ironically when it came to watching Golik and Wingo this morning, and they had Ndamukong Sue on the program. Ndamukong Sue was a ferocious player out of Nebraska, took that mentality to to uh, the NFL, and, you know, at some point he got it figured out, and he's having a pretty productive career. Now, I will say the only thing I wish would ever happen is that Vontaze Perfect, okay, would have played in the eras of Dick Butkus and a lot of those physical players because I got used to it. These guys would absolutely kill him. They would absolutely kill him. Let's be honest, it would have been a better fit for his uh, style of playing, if you'd like to call it that. And he, yeah, it would have uh, straightened him out quite quickly, I think. You think? I know. But yes, so, uh, but what this has also brought up, unfortunately, is this is dug up more dirt around the league about this that we don't really want to have to get into. But there was another incident over the weekend involving one of the Patriots players who uh, hit Josh Allen, Bill's quarterback. Again, it looked like head to head. Now, he wasn't fined in any way, he wasn't ejected. It wasn't, it was replayed out where everyone decided it was not unnecessary, it did not warrant. Uh, an unnecessary roughness call. But if you look back at it, their argument is, and Bel- Belichick spoke at length about this, thing, their argument is that it was not a direct head-to-head and it wasn't purposeful. He leans in with his shoulder and he, he seems to be going for shoulder first. Now, that may be the case, but it, in my opinion, if you look at he's also leaning his head in at least somewhat <laughs> some sort of fine or suspension or even a warning of some kind for this because... A lot of people are pointing out that this is just another example of the Patriots getting their way and getting away with it. And that, that may or may not be the case, but if this rule is going to stick and if players are going to stick to it and learn from it, it has to be unanimous. It has to be league-wide. Right. Well, it does. I mean, you know, let's not kid ourselves. The Patriots have been known to do things in the past that the league doesn't quite approve of. Not going to get into that list right now, but uh, because it's too long and we don't have that much time because you have a lot of other good information. But I think, you know, uh, the Patriots hit on Josh Allen is what it is. Uh, But let's stick to perfect. This guy will never figure it out. And the NFL is one of these, is going to use him as an example, Anthony, to let guys know around the league that this is the way today's game is played. We are not out here to go ahead and deliberately injure players. And you're talking about a league that's had to pay out a lot of money in lawsuits in recent years because of, for the retired players. So when you look at the sum of the whole and the whole of the sum, the NFL doesn't need any more uh, potential legal issues to compound the ones that they already have now. And yes, they are going to make a statement with Von Taz Perfect, and I don't know what chance he thinks he has on an appeal but judging by his track record, I personally don't think that he's going to have much of a case. So, no, I, uh, if you watch back the play, there is absolutely no 
no reason for for that player in particular. There's no reason why he should go in the way he did. It was very clearly at first. It was very clearly an unnecessary hit because the play was already pretty much dead at that point in time. It was a un, completely unnecessary hit. So I don't see any world in which this appeal is going to be successful for him. And I do think he will be out the rest of the season. And after this season, I mean, he's another year older. He's already coming towards the end of his career. Is he going to get another shot in the NFL? I suspect he may do, but I don't think he deserves it, if we're being perfectly honest, given his behaviour in the past. Because, yes, don't get me wrong, in hard knocks this year, we all looked at him and thought, OK, he wasn't, he was polite, he was quiet, he didn't do anything that we'd expected him to do. It wasn't quite the uh, chamber pot of, of tempers that we thought it would be with him and the likes of Richie Incognito. But at the end of the day, it's only game four and he's already done this, and he's been warned about this in the past. Yeah, I mean, here's a situation, okay, with him. First of all, Anthony, the guy doesn't show any remorse, and he's kind of like laughing at it as he goes off the field. And I think he could get another chance, and I wouldn't be surprised, believe it or not, Anthony, if he gets it with the Raiders as they go to Las Vegas. So John Gruden and Mike Mayock will certainly probably not overly stress out over him compared to the headaches that they dealt with with Antonio Brown. So, and if, if the league, if they're, and if he doesn't get one there, the Dallas Cowboys once upon a time employed Greg Hardy. So, I don't think that Perfect is completely a goner. But let me tell you, when you look at that situation as a whole, Anthony, I think he's got a little bit more life. But he's going to have another what twelve games, and but uh, and even perhaps a postseason to think about it. Although I don't think the Raiders are getting to the postseason anyways. No. But 12 no, games and a lot of cabbage, man. Uh, I think, uh, you know, he's definitely have time to think about it. If he doesn't show remorse after this lengthy suspension and don't think that the NFL like bar him permanently, because you're right, he's had more uh, lives than Morris had. So just a little thought out there. All right, with that said, okay, you brought up an interesting topic and now I'm really curious about it because I will grill you all the way to the Royal Parliament about this one. You're talking about the Cincinnati Bengals on their way out after yet another disappointing defeat. Uh, there are what? Rum? I, I need to hear more about this one, Anthony. This is news to me. Well, first thing, this, this morning some news came out that uh, AJ, clips have been going around social media about AJ Green looking very disappointed on the sidelines. And rightly so in that last game, it was a poor, poor performance at the end of the day. But... After subsequently, there were lots of rumours going around uh, about uh, the Patriots potentially working on a trade for AJ Green, or a couple of other teams working on a trade for AJ Green. Shortly afterwards, we hear that uh, wide receiver John Ross is now out for uh, at least about about a, about a month with a shoulder injury he sustained last week, and more bad news for the Bengals. And then a uh, Cincinnati politician has tweeted. It's, it's a very interesting one here. He's the. Uh, uh, prominent Democrat in, in the area, he said, go Bengals, seriously, just go. Uh, he then complained about uh, the lack of paying properties and such. And, and he has an interesting point, and the USA Today pointed this out today in a very interesting article. I'd, I'd advise you to go and have a look at it if you get a chance out there. The, the Bengals, their stadium deal expires in 2026. The stadium that they're currently in would cost at least $300 million to renovate to where they would need it to be. It's, it's falling behind. And, and then if you throw in the fact that the Bengals haven't won a playoff game in 30 in 1991. Do the, is the city really that going to be that passionate to keep this team in town? Is this something that not a lot of people have thought about, but given the start to this season, it's yet another disappointing year after a number of 
problem with under obviously with with, with uh, Andy Dalton in QB. What do we look at in the future? There's no real promise for this team over the coming years. Yes, they've got some young players, but we're not looking at this team going right there a couple of players away from a Super Bowl or even a playoff spot at this point in time. They're, they're down there with the Dolphins at this point in time. So is the city of Cincinnati really going to push to have a team kept in the city that hasn't even won a playoff game in, in about 30 years? I'm curious for your thoughts on this. Yeah, my thoughts are number one. I'm amazed that a relatively new stadium needs $300 million in upgrades already. I mean, really? Yes. That That's that's one of my thoughts. Number two, I'm going to ask you this, okay? Where do you think the Cincinnati Bengals would go? Well, that's an interesting one. I've been giving it some thought. You look at the likes of Pat St. Louis as someone in may look at. We'll see how they've team before. Um, I'm, not, I'm positive, and this isn't just me saying this is a pro. I'm positive that the second that these rumors start to spread, Okay, you say St. Louis, Anthony? It will come up as a potential destination. Personally, I would, I maintain, I would be surprised if they left the city. There is, there's a good history there. Yes, perhaps not a great deal of silverware, but there is some good history there, and, and there is a lot of love for that team despite their lack of success. So I'd be surprised if they did leave. But yes, if, if we're looking at potential cities, uh, St. Louis, Salt Lake, perhaps, is another one you could look at. San Antonio is another one. They did very well in the AAF for playing there. Yeah, you know, they were constantly heavily supported. The, the stadium was constantly sold out. So that would be a, t- a city I would definitely look at. Right. Um, but yeah, those, those three are the ones that jump straight to mind. Yeah, Salt Lake, I think, is too small of a market. I can't see that. Um, St. Louis, they need, a, they need a, another stadium. They're not going to play at that place Edward Jones Dome or whatever they've named it after all this time and San Antonio good luck if you think you're going to get that one through Jerry Jones and the Texans are going to have a little part of that hey listen that's your part of the country so let me let me throw a couple out there that I would think I mean believe me and this is such a stretch it's really a really stretch okay I mean uh, Oakland could they be enticed uh, if they could get another stadium even though they failed miserably with the Raiders maybe or the, actually, the one I think would be interesting would be San Diego. Actually, yes, that's a good point. I just I, literally, as you mentioned, the, the, uh, the Raiders there, San Diego pops to mind as well. I mean, they've got, again, the stadium would need renovations, but there's, there's certainly a market there for it, and the city's certainly big enough. I'm actually wondering with Oakland, though, whether they'd ever, uh, the reason they didn't build a stadium because of the Davis family. I mean, this is all speculation, Andy, it really is. We're just talking about But it's, but it's an right. interesting point. Right. Yeah, that's what I would think. San Diego. I hated to see the Chargers go, but can Southern California go ahead and support yet another team down in San Diego? And then you and, have and that's, and that's the tricky thing about it as well, is if you look at a lot, most of these markets, the prominent ones at least, you look at look at the LA area, obviously you've got San Fran as well, not, not too far away, and you right. look at New York and the Boston area. These, the, the big markets are widely saturated at this point in time, so it would be difficult for Cincinnati to find a viable area, I think. Yeah, I think so. And and, and if uh, they didn't have teams, the only other teams you would talk about would be Nashville has their team. Uh, Charlotte has their team. So, you know, I, I think that we're looking at maybe just a handful of places. I You know, and I don't think the NFL wants any smaller markets, albeit Cincinnati is one. But what's unique about Cincinnati is you have Southern Ohio and you have all of the entire Kentucky market. And believe me, Anthony... Being a guy that's taken I-75 south many a times and driving across the uh, 
border, you know, that's a team that's more like a regional team anyways. So. Well, here's a, here, I've got a quick question for you then, sure. if I may. How sure. do you feel about the prospect of the London Bengals just throwing it out there? Well, I mean, what I think about them is I think that, you know, it, it's an interesting thought. But again, you're talking about one interesting scheduling dynamic. <laughs> That's one way of putting it. Yeah. Let me tell you what, if, if there was a no scheduling dynamic, then I think that it's doable. But then, you know, they'd have to uh, spend a, a certain period of time here in the States, and then they'd have to uh, spend time at home, and then you have to have factor the extra bye week. Now, if you rephrase that question, and ask me what I think of Mexico City. Well, Mr. Wood, we got a different conversation altogether. <laughs> Absolutely. They're in North America, okay? So Yeah, what, what about, I mean, again, this may be a long shot, but what if we were to throw out, say, say Vancouver or, or Montreal? Well, those are interesting. I don't think it would work in Toronto because of the proximity to, to uh, Buffalo. Montreal is an interesting one. Vancouver, I think, could be doable, uh, only in the sense that you have a natural rivalry with the Seahawks. Or if you want to take that rivalry a little further, why don't we just talk about Portland, Oregon, and put them in the conversation, Anthony? Well, absolutely. I'm just thinking in terms of if we let's let's be honest, Major League Baseball, basketball, they all make it work. Basically, I mean, they've all made it work in terms of having teams in Canada as well and in the same league. So. Right. There's no reason as to why it wouldn't work, and we saw the NFL. They went to to Canada over over the winter, and it was very popular, and there was a great turnout. So they've got the stadiums. Yeah, I think Toronto. I doubt it because I don't think that the Bills would allow it. But Montreal and no. uh, Vancouver are a fair game. I mean, you know, I I, I really do. Montreal is only good because of the fact that they'd be in the NFC anyhow. So you're talking about uh, staying in the conference. Where if you went to Vancouver, I think the logistical issues would be tougher to move a team west and you'd have to move a team east. However, with that said, uh, the BC place is an already ready football stadium. So I think that the stadium situation would be more doable than it would be in Montreal. Although, who's to say you couldn't use Olympic Stadium for a while uh, as a temporary possibility. So I know that's still in place. So. Now, that's interesting. So I told you this was one subject we were going to talk about. So uh, I personally don't think they're leaving Cincinnati. I really don't. I think they're staying put. No, I think despite that politician's comments and despite some unrest in the area about the team's performances, I can't see I can't see them leaving. I, I can't, the fans wouldn't be happy. I think they're very well embedded in the city. And, and let's be honest, I know, again, they are one of the slightly newer teams in the league, but certainly they've got a great deal of history there, and I can't see them wanting to so throw that away, so to speak. Okay, well, with that said, I think we've covered that topic a little bit. I think they stay in Cincinnati, but I, but some of the other things that we've thrown out there uh, are any are pretty interesting. So if anybody wants to contact us, they can actually, uh, about this information, they can actually give us their emails over at SouthFloridaTribune at gmail.com. Once again, SouthFloridaTribune at gmail.com, and we'll get back to you right away. And now you have some trade news that you want to bring to our attention, Anthony, so fire away. Oh, absolutely. You know I love a good trade. Yes, the uh, Falcons and Eagles have finalized to trade per sources. 
The uh, Falcons will get safety Jonathan Cyprian, formerly of the uh, Titans and, the, and your hometown Jaguars as well. Uh, they will get a seventh-round pick in 2020 in trade. The Eagles will get linebacker Duke Riley and a sixth-round pick in 2020. Is it a blockbuster? Absolutely not, but it's nice to get some, uh, certainly nice to get some, some trades thrown in there. And, and let's be honest, the Falcons could use Cyprian. I think it will be a good fit there. And, and again, for the Eagles, they've been riddled with injuries this year, so Duke Riley will provide them some depth there and, uh, and then a slightly higher pick next year, So, but certainly no complaints there. Uh, yes, obviously I've mentioned uh, AJ Green there uh, earlier on. He's, there's there's rumours about trade. There's nothing concrete at this point in time. It's merely speculation. But yes, there has been some discussion about whether that's going to happen or not. Um, other moves outside linebacker Bradley Chubb for Broncos is now out for the year with a torn ACL. That's a big loss for Vic Fangio's team and his defence there. And uh, yes, that's going to be a real. And let's be perfectly honest. That means Ron Miller's going to get a lot more attention all of a sudden. So. That's a real shame for that, that potentially dangerous uh, defense up there in, in uh, Colorado. Sam Donald has been cleared to throw for the Jets. Uh, but there were concerns the other day about his spleen. So there's no, as far as I'm aware, at this point in time, he needs more time to prepare. He needs more time to heal before he can get back into physical contact. So it's going to be some time yet, I believe, for Jets before Sam Donald sees some time on the field again, which is a shame for them. Obviously, their yeah. season not growing nowhere near as expected this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, sticking with QB's Mitch Trubisky is out this week after dislocating his shoulder last week now, Chase Daniel did a decent job in, in his place so he will be starting in his place again this week but uh, yes thankfully it's nothing more dangerous than a uh, dislocated shoulder so he would he should be back relatively soon uh, wide receiver Golden Tate has been activated by the Giants good news for them they, are, they have an incredibly depleted receiver core it's uh, another good reliable target there for Daniel Jones to use in New York. That's some good news for them. And then uh, sticking with the Giants, rookie middle linebacker Ryan Conley has suffered a torn ACL. It was in Sunday's game against Washington. He is now out for the season. So a little bit of good, a little bit of bad there for New York. Not entirely sure how they'll uh, feel coming out today. Right, I'm going to put you on the spot about a couple players, okay? How do you think Golden Tate is going to perform this weekend, Anthony Wood? I'm excited about Golden Tate. He looked good in preseason. He's in good shape. He was very enthusiastic. Uh, go back a month or two when they were talking to him about his upcoming season. That was just before his uh, initial suspension. But no, I'm very optimistic about him. I think he's he's a good fit for that offense, and he'll be somewhat. I, I can see him being somewhat of a safety blanket for Giants at this point in time. Let's be honest, their receiver core as it is weak at best at this point in time. So to get a reliable, experienced target with a calm head back in that offense is going to be uh, a nice improvement there for Jones. Okay, let's talk about the Kansas City Chiefs Detroit Lions game on Sunday. What were your thoughts about the way LaShawn McCoy played? I didn't see too much of LaShawn McCoy, if I'm honest. I was flicking between game to game at that point in time from what I saw from the Chiefs-Lions game. I loved the Lions' aggressiveness. They did a fantastic job, as far as I'm concerned, of containing that offense. But their main issue was were the turnovers. It was so disappointing to see two right in the red zone, practically on the goal line. It was extremely disappointing from that uh, offense, which is perfectly capable. It may not be as lethal as, as the, uh, the Chiefs, but that was very disappointing from my point of view. That was the main takeaway I had, if I'm honest with you. That's okay. No problem. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what's going on with the Houston Texans. You're down there, and you're closer to the situation. How do you uh, rank their chances over the weekend? If I'm being perfectly honest, their performance over last weekend was appalling. The offense was abysmal. Deshaun Watson did not look comfortable. 
for the fourth straight game this year, they had another change on the offensive line. This time it was forced due to uh, an illness to Zach Fulton or an injury, we're not sure. But yes, yeah, so the, on that offensive line, to put it into perspective, they only had one player who started last year, who started um, week 17 last year, and then centre Nick Martin. It was a completely new line, otherwise they changed it every single game since then. And that's the problem, that John Watson doesn't feel comfortable in the pocket. He's nervous, his, his downfield throws have been off target, he, he's not hitting Hopkins anywhere near as often, uh, nowhere near as accurately as he should. It's just been disappointing overall, it's, it looks so promising against the Saints, we saw some explosive plays from the guys Carlos Hyde as well, and he's sort of teetered off a bit the last week too, and, and the same could be, and Kenny Stills now as well with a he left with a hamstring injury, that's terrible news in Texas because he's been extremely reliable the last few weeks, so I'm not overly optimistic I think they've got a good chance against these Falcons because despite Sebu coming in I, I don't see them as an enormous threat simply because they are underperforming this year if we're being honest okay. so it's an interesting one it's going to be one worth watching to see if the Texans offense can bounce back and also if Matt Ryan's offense can bounce back but I think they should come out of this with a win but at this point in time I certainly don't see them winning the division that's right. Okay, Jadavian Clowney obviously is in the Pacific Northwest with Seattle. So, it, I know obviously the Texans' defense took a hit with him being traded away. But from an overall standpoint, Anthony, we got about two or three minutes left to uh, go on your segment here. How would you rank the Houston Texans' defense right now, even without Jadavian Clowney? The, to be perfectly honest with you, the defense has done very well recently, particularly this last week. If you go back and watch it, J.J. Watt may not be as productive in terms of sack numbers as he has been, for example, last year. But he hasn't got through on the season. He had a sack, a fourth fumble, and a fumble recovery last weekend with decent performance. And in the absence of Cloudy, that has meant that Whit Masters, a former second-team All-Pro, has been able to move back to his outside linebacker position where he can really focus on rushing the, the passer, which is what he does best, and he said that himself. With Cloudy there, he was taking up his position, so he was having to track back a lot more, and he wasn't as comfortable, he wasn't as productive. He's had, I think, four sacks so far this year. He's had an interception. It's his only career interception so far. He's had, uh, if I remember correctly, two strip sacks. It, it's been a remarkable few weeks from his point of view. And then something Philip Rivers actually pointed out against the Chargers was that Brent Scarlett, the special team who they re-signed this off-season, has, has very much sort of acted as Clowney in that regard and in a lot of plays when they move work merciless around a little bit they'll have Scarlet rushing from the insides an interesting dynamic and it really does seem to be working so far so to be honest I can't tell you that the Texans are really missing Clowney well that's interesting to know it doesn't hurt that Romeo Cronell's running the show on defense <laughs> and he's been around there for a long time and one other thing before we let you go Anthony Bill O'Brien obviously has always been under fire for a while what does he talk about his future after this year? I know that he won't talk about it a little bit, but do you think that he's really on the hot seat down in Texas? I would be surprised if he wasn't. It's it's a very difficult one to figure out at this point in time, simply because I mean, despite the fact that obviously the Texans do have a new owner now after the passing of Bob Whitney, right. there for years, and he's been in a prominent position there for years. He was part of the decision to bring back O'Brien to sign him to a new five-year deal, so he's tied down for I believe another three years at least. Okay, it would be very expensive to on him. Right. Well, that, that's without giving the GM position, they've essentially done that. So it's, I think he's safe for the moment, despite these performances, but. I think the more pressure the fans can put on 
and McNair's, they may see that, to be perfectly honest, O'Brien's supposed offensive guru mind isn't really clicking. Well, you know, it's funny how you bring that up. So we'll, I'll bring up another question while we have another minute or so to go. I know the Texans weren't able to get the New England guy, but I have a feeling that once his contract is up, that he'll be making his way down to uh, the site uh, adjacent to the Houston Astrodome. <laughs> so uh, I have a feeling that uh, once they get a permanent GM in place that can work with O'Brien, that that uh, we lost Anthony for a moment, but uh, I'm sure we'll have him back. But I think that uh, he'll be able to uh, be able to hold that position a little bit for another year because Anthony did indicate that uh, he was uh, definitely well, there will be some more stability. So we're trying to get Anthony Wood back on. So. But that's, there we go, the, one, the wonders of modern technology. That, that's okay, don't worry about it. Anyways, Anthony, let's go back to my initial point. I'll talk about the potential possibility of them landing that uh, Patriots executive. So give me your thoughts on that before we wrap things up. If the Texans can get hold of Nick Casario, then I would say O'Brien is probably going to be safe for at least another season, regardless okay. of how he does this year, simply because that has been his plan all along. It's clear that McNair is on the same wavelength because he hasn't looked to bring in another GM, so... If they can bring in Casario at the end of this year, I would say O'Brien is safe. If they can't, if, if the Patriots start tying down again, then I would certainly say O'Brien is going to go into next season as one of the coaches to look out for in the hot seat because I can't see how he can fail with, with two straight GMs and then fail himself as a GM and then still have the seat should that happen. So, some good points, and again, you just made the point for me. Uh, if he has three years left in his contract, then it'd be pretty hard to eat a lot of that money. So I agree with you 100%. So. Meanwhile, Anthony, listen, glad to have you back on the program, and we'll see if we can continue to do better on Thursday. Uh, I like having you on for these longer uh, segments because not only do we get some good notes, the one thing I like to get out of you uh, as an insider is I like to feed off of some of your opinions, and I think that's what makes uh, what you do even better than we did before. So Certainly. Any excuse to talk football. Oh, don't worry. We'll make sure you get plenty of it. So, all right, Anthony Wood, we will do this again Thursday. Thank you very much, Anthony. Appreciate you Thank being you on. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, with that said, Mel Farr is due on the South Florida Tribune hotline, and I'm looking forward to having Mel Farr on the program. He's a guy that we've been able to uh, have on here and in the past, and Mel always has some great insiders. But while we're waiting for, for Mel, we have an update here. The Milwaukee Brewers now lead uh, the Washington Nationals. I think I mentioned it 3 to nothing. Uh, we are in the bottom of the third inning. So the Milwaukee Brewers, who have uh, been without Christian Yelich, have managed to compile a 20-7 and win since uh, Christian went down in September, and they have not fallen off. With that said, we welcome Mel Farr to the Sports Exchange. Mel, thank you very much for being on the show. We appreciate your partner. Oh, everything's going very great. Thank you very much. So, uh, with that said, glad to have you back on, Mel. Glad to be back. Don't worry. We're going to keep you busy. Best Can time you... of the year. What's that? This is, this is the best time of the year. You, well, get used to the workload you're about to get, Mel, because we got a lot of stuff to talk about. And as time goes on, we're going to get you into the college arena. But we're going to get you started with the pros, and we have some pretty good things that we're going to talk about, one that's been talked about a lot with everybody, 
And we're going to pick it up with you, too. It's Vontaze Perfect with a season-ending suspension, uh, showing no remorse for what he did. So let's talk about the suspension, and then we'll take it back to the yesteryear, how he would have been treated by the old-time nasties. Yeah, I mean, you know, those guys in the Hall of Fame that, you know, did things like he did and, and were rewarded for it. <laughs> right. I, I don't know exactly how I feel about it because I played the game at a different time. And that would have been something that would have been, you know, that would have been praised as well. Uh, you know, now that with the concussion lawsuit, obviously they're trying to officiate a lot of that stuff out of the game. <clears throat> it obviously was blatant. It was obviously blatant. He has been a constant violator of that of the rules uh, of that rule. I think he's been fined somewhere around four million dollars or something like that. I think he's been suspended thirteen times. So obviously, you know, he doesn't get it. Whether or not he's been suspended for the whole year, you know, I'll leave that up to the to, to the folks in New York. I don't know exactly how I feel about it. You know, football is a violent game. It's a gladiator sport. Um, when you're out there. You're running around. Sometimes your emotions get the best of you. You're not thinking. You're reacting. Okay. And you know that—that's what he did. He, you know, the guy was not down. Could he went and just put two hands on him? Yeah, but that's not him. That's mm -hmm. not who he is. That's never been who he is. And you know, football. A part of the game of football is trying to kill the other person's will. The guy that's aligned across the line of scrimmage from you. You want to destroy that person's will. So anytime they get in that area, when you're talking about a wide receiver or a tight end, they're going to be looking for you and not necessarily concentrating on the ball. That can give you an edge in the game. If you're an interior lineman, you want to try to dominate that guy to the point where the guy just quits. That's the mindset that you have as a football player when you step across the, that white line. Now, I understand, you know, those are our brothers. Even though they're on another team, it's a big brotherhood. We... We, we, we go to the middle of the field, we hug each other, we congratulate one another. But during the, during those 60 minutes, we're enemies. And you know, it, it's fair game. And you you got to keep your head on the swivel. That's one thing we used to always say. Keep your head on the swivel because you don't right. know where that, that next hit's coming from. So, I, like, again, I have mixed emotions about it. I looked at the hit. It, I, didn't, I didn't feel the way that a lot of people are, are reacting towards the hit. Uh, um, yeah, you know, they're trying to, obviously, they want to get rid of that type of stuff from the game now because of the con concussion losses they have. Right. But I can tell you, I'd much rather somebody hit me in my head than in my knee. Well, <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, let's break this down. You know, you tear your ACL, you're out for a year. You get a concussion, you know, you might be out for that game or you know, a week or two, but you're going to come back. They mess your knee up, you're out for, for a while. And then you got to go through the, the rehab process and all that stuff, and none of that's fun. All right, let me break down a couple of your phrases for a moment, Mel. First of all, kill the will. There's no question that's what they're supposed to do. No debate about that, okay? And, you know, again... You know, like you said, it's a gladiator sport, and it is extremely physical. But I think part of what you're saying uh, with the concussion lawsuits and all these other lawsuits, the NFL does not want any more lawsuits hanging over them uh, if they can completely avoid it. 
Don't you agree? That's true, but I mean, this, this lawsuit's done. Right. I don't know, I mean, this lawsuit's over. Um, right. So they, they, they don't have to worry about another type of lawsuit. And they can put stuff in contracts and stuff like that. And, you know, they, they, they can eliminate this particular lawsuit. It's out there. The information's out there. We know that they held back information. So it's out there now. But again, and I just, it, some of these hits that guys are getting fined for, and I'm not talking about this one here. Right. But some of them are, are they're difficult to avoid. I mean, it's real hard to avoid. The helmet to helmet contact is difficult to avoid. I mean, they were even talking about looking at that at the play where uh, it, it was the Rams and uh, the Rams and Tampa Bay when the guy intercepted the pass and right at the goal line, the big lineman came and just cleaned cleaned up the, the DB as he was scoring the touchdown. I mean, he, he, he took a shot. It's a shot at, at an area that he could get to. I mean, he's a big guy. And when he came in there and delivered the blow, it was right in the guy's head. And they were talking about, you know, take a look at that. Now, I don't know if he got fined for that. I don't think he did. I didn't hear anything about it. But it right. was a vicious hit. It was a vicious hit to the head. Vicious. Uh it probably just as vicious or or more vicious than what Vontaze Burfitt did. Yeah, I guess something I'd say about Vontaze Burfitt, and we all probably agree on this one, Mel. He's been warned, and he's numerous times at some point or another, you know, when you're really headed to the principal's office, you can head there one more time, and at some point they just get rid of you. Do you know what I mean? So it's not like this guy hasn't been told and warned several times until the NFL sure. said... You know what, Vontes? If you don't get it not by now, then you're gonna. If you don't get it, then you're gonna sit it and take away what he does. And all of a sudden, maybe he'll get it. How do you like some of those uh, in, uh, rhymes there, Mal? Well, well, they're taking away four four million of his dollars, four right. million dollars of his money. That's a lot of money. Right. And it, you know, if, if you want to get somebody's attention, you normally hit them where it hurts, and that's in their wallet. <laughs> right. And right. obviously. You know, obviously it's not bothering him too much because he's still still going out there doing it. Now, sometimes there are things that you can do that are just egregious, that there's no place in the game for certain type of types of behavior. Like you, you step on a guy's hand or something like that, or you're on the, bottom, on the bottom of the pile twisting somebody's ankle. But in the course of a play, I haven't seen all of his plays. Now, I, I know that you know, this one here, you, you know, you could say – it's borderline, in right. my opinion, dirty because he led with his head and right. he hit the guy in the head. So you could say, is it is it dirty? I don't know. I wouldn't say that it was dirty, but obviously it's something that they don't want to have in the sport. Well, now if you go and dive at somebody's knee or something like that, or you know somebody's laying on the ground and you put their helmet in their back. Right. You know, those things are, that's that's what I say is dirty. Okay, that's fair. I'll just use one word and then we'll move on to the next subject called reputation. His reputation yeah. is exactly... He's got a bad reputation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. His, his reputation has hung when him he, in this case. Yeah, I mean, when he, when he crosses, when he, when he crosses over white lines, you know, he's got bad intentions on his mind. Yeah, There's no question true. about it. Yeah, it becomes but, psychological, right? Yeah, well, you know, most of those guys have bad intentions, you know. Right. Uh, you you got to have some – I mean, you, you, you can't be all the way sane playing football. <laughs> I like the way you said you got some good ones, Mel, I'm telling you. I'm glad you're back in the rotation. you got to keep coming up with them, man. You, you, if you could do 
something else, you should be doing it. Right. It's a tough way to make a living. Well, you got smart and did a lot of things uh, when you got in the family business and with some of your other business endeavors. But I, I see your point. I really do. I mean, uh, but reputation, and yet I believe that even uh, the, after this year, I wouldn't be surprised he still stays in the league either with the Raiders or the Dallas Cowboys. But wait, that's for another day, for another time. So with that said, another t- trend, which I see is becoming more disturbing happens to be about players' demands getting out of control to leave teams, and it's hurting the league. Antonio Brown made a complete idiot out of himself uh, leaving the Raiders, and now I think Jalen Ramsey is certainly trying to orchestrate a um, situation get out of Jacksonville, but at what point or another do you think that these demands eventually hurt the league? Um, you know, the, the problem is collective bargaining agreement that we have with the NFL right now favors the owners and not the players. When you have a first-round draft pick, and that's, that's not the case with Antonio Brown, but with, with with the guy down there in Jacksonville, when you're drafted in the first round, you, the club owns you for five years because every, every first-round contract is a four-year contract. It's all guaranteed with a fifth-year option. Right. So they control you. Before you can ever hit the free agent market, you're going to be under the club's control for five years. Then after that, they can franchise you. Right. And they can franchise you again. So basically they can control you for about seven years before it gets to be too expensive for them to continue to franchise them. Right, that's true. So what's happened is, from my understanding, Jacksonville had said that they were not going to either engage in contract contract talks with Jalen Ramsey or they were not going to exercise his fifth year option or 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 something of that nature. So now with, with him, there, there's also a you know Tom Coughlin is a disconnect between him and Tom Coughlin. Right. They're 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 not on the same page. Tom Coughlin is saying things about him publicly that he's not particularly very fond of. Right. And you gotta understand that he's not a kid, he's a man. Right. With, with children and, and a family, and right. they see this, and so he's taken on the posture that you know he has to do what's best for himself and his career. Right. You only have you have a short window to play professional football. The last thing he wants to really do is leave his teammates because those are those are like his best friends. Mm-hmm. They go to battle with one another. They go to war with each other. That's not right. what he wants to do. But basically, that's what ownership or what management is forcing him to do. So if he can try, if he can get out, more power to him. It's a lot more difficult in the NFL than it is in the NBA. Now Antonio Brown is a totally different situation. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't condone what he did in any way, shape, form, or fashion. He wanted out of Pittsburgh. He acted up and did whatever he wanted to do, and, and they finally, mm-hmm. even, even even at the end, the Rooneys went down and talked to him, and they still tried to salvage a relationship. He wanted out of there. Then he goes to Oakland, all of a sudden, you know, he freezes his feet off, his helmet's not, you know, he, he's unha- unhappy about the helmet. Right. And, you know, then they seem to get that straightened away. And then he gets fined. I don't know why he didn't expect to get fined for missing certain things. Right. And then he goes off on the general manager. I mean, well, you can't do that. No, you can't. I mean, you can't do that and expect to have a job. So well. They got rid of him. Now, I was real surprised. 
I was very surprised that the Patriots picked him up. I can understand their reasons for doing it, but I was very, very surprised, and I was looking forward to seeing how that was going to work out. Yeah. Well, we know we now know how that worked out. He didn't. Yeah, you know, it's funny. When you talk about his track record with the three organizations he was with, if you can't play for Mike Tomlin and the Roonies, something's badly wrong. They they stayed with him a long time, and I'll bet he wishes he stayed there now. Then again, I don't know what this guy wishes anymore. Mike Mayock, to me, is one of the most credible, and I met Mike before up in Jacksonville when the Buffalo Bills took on the Jaguars up at uh, TIA Bank Stadium, whatever it was called before, but whatever. And Mike Mayock is one of the smartest football minds I have ever seen. And John Gruden is credible. And you're right, you cannot go out there and do what you did to a guy like Mike Mayock. He will never win. He will make sure that the culture with the Raiders is always good. And Gruden knew what he was doing when he uh, was able to land Mayock out of the broadcasting booth. You just don't do that. And, you know, the helmet, I mean, the whole thing is just stupid anyways. And I think the only word that will summarize Brown if he keeps up it. Things are, he'll be blackballed from the league. And then to take shots at Robert Kraft, to me, I don't know, Mel. You can't get any worse than that trifecta to burn your bridges. Who do you have left? Jerry Jones? And you think Jerry Jones would waste his time? Yes, he's taking on problem children, but this is one that you probably don't want to mess around with. You really he's don't. He's out of control. He's out of control. I don't yeah. know what's wrong with him, but he's, he's out of control. I mean, none of those men deserve that. I mean, you can see, right. obviously, Pittsburgh put up with a lot of stuff because we never saw the be- we saw behavior, but nothing like what they oh, saw yeah. in Oakland. Yeah, and obviously, however he came into Oakland, they didn't they didn't set they, they didn't set the right standard there. And you don't want that kind of guy in your locker room. I mean, they're trying to go they're trying to rebuild through the draft. You got young people in there. You can't have a guy in there acting a clown like that, and doing stuff like that, being right. disrespectful, and just saying whatever he wants to say. And, I, you know, I think Antonio's more interested in, in being a social media star, so right. he can be a social media star. But he doesn't understand that his stardom, social media popularity and stardom, came from playing football. That's true. That's true. So um, He needs to get back to playing football. I, I've never seen anybody that didn't need $30 million. I, I, I mean, I've never seen anybody. I, I've never heard anybody say I have enough money. <laughs> he never Even will. Jeff Bezos doesn't say I have enough money. Uh Bill Gates, they don't say I have enough money. Everybody needs more money. Everybody wants more money. Right, that's he true. He doesn't have anywhere near the money of those men. Right, that's true. Well, so one other thing with Brown before we go, I have two other things to talk about. How does a guy like him, and for that matter, perfect, uh, manage back in the 70s and 80s when things were really, really rough? Uh, does a, Do a lot of the players go ahead and police it themselves by hammering these guys far worse than what they're allowed to do now. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we used to do that all the time when I was in UCLA. I mean, they talked about bounty gate. Right. We would put we would put bounties on people. They came in there doing things a little certain way, or they were a little dirty, or they're doing something. We would put a bounty on somebody. We'd get in the huddle and we say, "Hey, you know, certain certain such 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 got a bounty on them." Right. And as soon as somebody would get him, everybody would look at him and say, "Look at him." He'd be walking wobbly or whatever back to the back to the sidelines, or they might have to come get him. Now we wouldn't do anything dirty to anybody, like take their knees out or anything like that. But if somebody tried to take your knees out, you're going to retaliate. Right. And generally, what we try to do is we try to knock them out. Period. 
That's what we try to do. Try to put our hat right underneath his chin or a forearm right underneath his chin or a forearm in his ear hole. We're trying to knock that person out. Wow. Never anything dirty, you know, no, no cheap shots. That, doesn't really hurt somebody like that. Well, we'll just go back to what you said earlier in the segment. Mal, you t- take away their will, right? Pretty much. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> That's what, you're leading. You're leading to that, anyways, aren't you? Take away their will, and these absolutely. guys would never have lasted. I can only see Dick Buckus on the other end of the field taking out Brown or or. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I can only visualize it, and I, sometimes I wish I could, but that's for another day. So what, yep. now you live in Atlanta, and the Braves are in the postseason. So are, is the town excited uh, about where the Braves are? They've gone through the full rebuild, and uh, obviously, they, from what I hear, they play in a beautiful park, SunTrust Park. So let's talk about the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, the Braves, yeah, everybody's excited about the Braves. You have to understand, they got a, they got a pretty good tradition of winning here when Bobby Cox was the manager. Right. Going to the playoffs. Now, they didn't always, you know, they might have won the pennant, but they didn't always win the World Series. I think they might have won, you know, a couple World Series when Bobby Cox was here. But they had great pitching. You know, we had, we had great pitching here with Tommy Maddox and Glavin and um, Smoltz had some great pitching. So, we're all when you have great pitching, you're always going to be in the hunt. Right. And... Uh, you know, yeah, they're really excited about it, especially with what's going on with the Falcons right now. There's not too much to talk about with them. Right. But, yeah, the, the, the town is real excited. I mean, you can hear you know, people on the radio, the way they talk about the talk about the Braves, real mm-hmm. excited. And, uh, and, and the fans go crazy for it. I mean, I'm looking forward to it as well. I'll probably get out there and catch a game or two. If they get, if they get an opportunity to square up against my Dodgers, I'll definitely go out there. Oh, I can only imagine that. So, all right, let's talk about the Braves for a moment, okay? I know they won one World Series and they've been to a few World Series and against the Yankees, so they definitely played against the top competition. But I think they won from I remember thirteen straight division titles, which is probably a record I don't see anybody breaking. And the fact right. that they won a World Series out of it, I think they lost one World Series to the uh, Minnesota Twins when Jack Morris went ten innings to beat them in that one to nothing classic against John Smoltz. And of course, there are uh, epic battles with the Yankees and Bobby Cox. Obviously, is uh, the tremendous manager. So yeah, it's yeah. I can only imagine if uh, so. If they play against the Dodgers, who are you rooting for? Dodgers. I'm a Dodgers fan. Okay, gotta ask. Okay, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a LA kid. Oh, I know. I was born in LA, so I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a Dodgers and the Lakers. Okay. But I do like the Yankees. Now, when the Dodgers and the Yankees play, it's tough because I do. It's just something about, you know, the pinstripes and <laughs> right. you know, George Steinbrenner, you know, watching Reggie Jackson play up there and, and Dave Winfield. I've always been a fan of the Yankees. I've always liked the Yankees. I mean, I think people like winners other than the Patriots, right. for whatever reason. People don't like Patriots, but I like winners. Well, I know you have a little bit. I know you have a little Detroit blood on you, and, and but what are your thoughts about the Detroit Tigers despite the rebuild? Do you still have some compassion for them I feel bad for them I did <laughs> I did go to a game and this year when they played the Tigers right and the Tigers were up and I ended up leaving early and by the time I got to the car I think the Tigers I think the Tigers ended up losing yeah well at least you saw you quit while they were ahead yep. oh alright so now we're talking about the Atlanta Falcons uh, they they begun. They're now one and three. They'll have a tough tough test in Houston against the Texans two and two. So, 
You were telling me earlier when we spoke today that the Falcons fans are unrealistic. Losing their offensive coordinator was a big deal. Yeah, I guess anytime you lose Kyle Shanahan, that's a big deal. Yeah, when I say they're unrealistic, I mean they act like they they've been winning all the time. Right. Like you know maybe the, you know maybe the Cowboys or you know or the Patriots or the Steelers. Right. You know they, they they act like they've been they've been playing at a high level ever since the franchise has been in existence, and that's just not the case. They're they're no different than us than our you know Detroit fans. You know we Detroit fans every year we have high hopes, but at the end of the year we know that something's going to happen and we're not going to the Super Bowl. Right. And we're probably not going to make the playoffs. And if we do make the playoffs, we probably won't win a game. So we're realistic with our expectations in Detroit. You know, we aren't going around beating our chest saying, yeah, we're going to the Super Bowl. You know, the Falcons have gone to two more Super Bowls than the Lions have gone to. I right. give them that. They went to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, and I said this. I, I would listen to talk radio, and I stopped listening to it because – I don't know what these people think about. They don't, they don't understand. They thought that the Falcons were going to go right back to the Super Bowl because basically everybody is returning, all the players. I mean, we've got mm-hmm. Matt Ryan, who's a, a high-quality, high-level, you know, if you want to say elite quarterback. you got Julio Jones. Right. They had done some great things in the draft. The running back was coming back. The defense was coming back. But the one key thing that they don't understand is that offensive coordinator. Well, yeah. Matt Ryan had an outstanding year that year. Uh, uh, Devontae, um, I can't think of his name, the running back. Uh, Devontae Freeman, I believe. Devontae Freeman, right. He had a great year running the ball because that, that, that scheme, that zone blocking scheme, it's very difficult to teach. Right. It's very difficult to teach. And if you don't have somebody in there who's on you about it every day, with your footwork and so forth and so on, it's very difficult to replicate. So when they lost offensive coordinator, I knew it was going to be difficult. It was going to be difficult for Matt Ryan, and it was going to be difficult for that running game. So they have not been able to run the football the same way that they did back then, the, the year that they went to the Super Bowl. And that makes it much more difficult for Matt Ryan, but now you got to really rely on Matt Ryan. That makes it harder. That makes the passing game that much harder when you can't run the football. Yeah, let me add to your point too, Mel, because you bring up a great one. Steve Sarkeesian was a joke, and, I, and Dirk Cutter, I can't see him doing a whole lot better either. But I want to go, here's the big picture of where I'm going with this, okay, Mel? You know what the difference is, whether a quarterback is a bust or not? Yeah, the system that he's in. Well, that, but the offensive coordinator and the head coach right. always changing. And again, that Absolutely. relates to your point with the system, Mel. It really does. You cannot get away with a uh, constant instability from the head coach and the offensive coordinator. I will say no. this, and I know a lot of people will disagree with me. I don't care. For those individuals that want to contact me about my points, you can uh, contact me at southfordertribune at gmail.com. Attention, Scott Morganroth. Joey Harrington was drafted by the Lions a while back as a third pick. And when you continue to go ahead and change coaches and coordinators, that's what, in my opinion, led him to be a bust. I really believe that, you know. And you can't start with Marty Morningwood, and then you can't start with Steve Mariucci and keep changing the coordinators. You just can't do it. And if no, you, you do, then, then who are you trying to kid? So. And that's why the Steelers have been so successful. They've had three, quarter, three coaches in my lifetime. Yeah, well. And they all had the same type of philosophy. Right. You know, the Steelers is about 
playing defense, running the football. Right. So they all have the same type of philosophy. Now, when you when you firing the coach is not always the answer. Right. Sometimes you know because most coaches they don't participate in bringing in the players. They may have conversations about it, but they are not. They don't get the last word on what player makes makes the roster. So if the coach is not getting the proper players to run his system, then the team is not going to be successful. You, you're talking about the Lions. They went from they went from uh, who was it? Bobby Ross, who was coaching there. They got the big old lineman, right? Three hundred thirty pound lineman. Then they bring in Morningway. They don't want big three hundred pound. Well, you had Gary running the West Coast offense. Right. So all of a sudden, this guy here, Aaron Gibson, he's three hundred thirty pound. Right. You spent a first round draft pick on him. Because you got a new coach coming in, and he runs a kind of scheme. All those players that he drafted are no good. We can't oh, do anything well. So well, you got to, you got to, you got to restock the cabinet again. <clears throat> well, by the time he's, you know, catching his stride, maybe you get rid of him and you bring in somebody else. And then this guy has another philosophy. And so all those people that you drafted, they don't work for this. They don't work for this guy. Right. Oh, and, that's you know, once you know, once he starts getting his players in there again, maybe, and then, you know, they might be catching their stride a little bit. Then you get rid of him. Right. But right now, right now, they want Dan Quinn's head on a platter. Hmm. They want his head. L- let me three give... years ago, they were talking about Dan Quinn, how great a coach he was. Right. And that's how quickly ties turn. I mean, this guy took the team to the Super Bowl. Right. That's how quickly it turns. Well, let me give you one example that makes your point bigger than uh, bigger than life. Okay, maybe that's a pretty uh, thing to say, but think about this for a moment, Mel, because we got another two minutes or so to go. But the Lions fired Mike Martz when they were seven and nine, and then they ended up uh, once they lost Martz, who they tried to make the fall guy and Rod Marinelli, and they went to zero and sixteen by bringing on Jim Coletti. Tell me that right. one. Explain that one to me. Well, I mean, that's the pro- that's another problem when you talk about, I mean, they, all these retreads. <laughs> right. I mean, you just, I mean, even Dirk Cutter, I mean, he might be a great guy and so forth and so on, but man, how many chances is he going to get? There's a young guy out there somewhere with an innovative mm-hmm. mind like Sean McVay, like Kyle Shanahan, you know, you know, even like the guy that got hired up there at Green Bay, the little young guy getting hired up there. There's young minds out there. When are we going to give some of these young guys a chance to go out there and prove themselves? Like, like the kid at Dallas. I mean, the guy's 31 years old. He's offensive coordinator. Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore, yeah. my man. An undrafted yeah. free agent out of Boise State. Started with the Lions. I was skeptical the... about it, but I saw the first couple of games. I'm like, this guy's okay. Yeah, well, that's okay. Jerry does seem to uncover some of these guys. But we'll talk about that. We have another minute to go. Kellen Moore, an undrafted free agent signed by the Detroit Lions out of Boise State. Wasn't a bad backup. And then once the Lions let him go, he goes to Dallas. Uh, and once Jerry Jones likes you, then you're not going anywhere. He can afford to pay you anyways, right? There's no salary cap on coaches. And you're right. They've uncovered a great young offensive mind. So you made some incredible points, Mel. And all I can tell you, partner, I'm glad that you're back in the rotation and you aren't going anywhere. As long as you want to keep doing this, you're going to be coming back on. How do you like that? I look forward to it. Oh, me too. I, I like you. Definitely make me think, and you certainly. I, I don't have to worry about talking, but you definitely keep the juices and the wheels turning. And when I talk about wheels turning, since we have Detroit roots, it's very appropriate, isn't it, Melfar? Absolutely. 
absolutely. It gives me an opportunity to get some of these thoughts out of my head because most of the time, I don't, me and my brother, we don't talk much about football. We talk a little bit about it. But most of the time when I listen to talk radio, I keep these kind of, kind of thoughts in my head. And just like, man, because yeah, I don't call on the radio shows. I don't do anything like that. Well, well, guess, I'm not going to argue with anybody. Well, guess what? I'm, because you just said that, okay, you earned yourself some more airtime. So stand by the phone. I will find a way to get you in if I have to expand this show by another 30 minutes on the front end. Because one of the things I am contemplating doing is even though we're running 8 to 10 at the moment, I haven't ruled out the possibility of going from uh, 7.30 to 10 or 8 to 10.30. You know, we'll, we're, we'll make sure you're not past your bedtime. So just a little something to think about it. Okay, Mel? Sounds good. But I'll give you the opportunity to spit it out, and you'll be talking some college. So, all right, Mel, thank you for being on the program, and I'll be in touch with you next day or so to set up your next time. Okay, buddy? All right, sounds good. Thank you. Thank you for being on, Mel. Mel Farr, Jr., everybody, on the Sports Exchange. All right. With that said, Mel Farr makes a lot of very interesting points. And when I talk about interesting points, okay, you know, we're talking about an old-school guy that's been there and done that, and has gone out there and uh, played the game. And that, those are the kind of guys I like to bring on. Just a, un, an update here for you. Uh, in the uh, National League wildcard game, the Milwaukee Brewers have a 3-1 to lead over the Washington Nationals. We are looking at the top of the fifth inning over at Nationals Park in our nation's capital. With that said, on deck, okay, will be Damon Knight. And he is calling in here on the South Florida Tribune Network hotline. And we want to welcome Damon Knight to the program. Damon, welcome to the South Florida Tribune Network. You are on the Sports Exchange. How are you, Damon? I'm doing good, Scoop. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Yes, folks, uh, I am revered as Scoop. A lot of people like to mention it, like Damon's boss, Aaliyah Nicholas. And I don't know if Damon's ever met Gus Panelitas. Have you ever met Gus at all? No, I am doing, Gus? Good. Well, then, uh, these guys made that name famous, and now you get to bring it on live radio, so... Damon, I know we have a couple things we're going to talk about, but I want everybody to, uh, since this is your fi- first visit on the program, tell me what you are, are aspiring to do. I know you've uh, become a columnist for the South Florida Tribune, but tell everybody what you're doing now with the radio station with and your contributions to the South Florida Tribune. Well, uh, Scoop, I'm currently a board operator for the uh, W. Uh, 103.5 radio station. It's a Christian radio station. Uh, I work soundboards. I control, like, when you hear, you know, our program on, on the air, uh, the sound that you hear, that's me navigating that. Uh, I also do, do music, and I take calls and pass them on to the pastor after he's done doing his sermon. So it's pretty hectic. Uh, my ultimate goal is to become a sports broadcaster. I Growing up, just watching, you know, TV with, you know, uh, sports games. So I just watched at that event and, you know, just covering that and, uh, you know, just being present and enjoying it. Well, very good. Okay. Well, like I said, we're glad to have you on the program. I look forward to having you on as a regular contributor. I think the one thing I know that you were very excited about when you were telling family members and friends is that this is your opportunity to shine on the air. And I guess one of the things we're going to continue to do as the relationship grows is as you write certain stories and you'll have an opportunity to talk about them. And even though you don't write certain stories, it doesn't matter. You certainly know what you're doing anyway. So 
With that said, okay, uh, let's lead off with the AL Cy Young race uh, between uh, Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander. Uh, you predicted Verlander would uh, win it. Now you have a chance to put some numbers and match up what you uh, have come up with. Well, I look at it from this. I look at it. Uh, Verlander leads in wins and whip. And with the no-hitter that he just threw recently, um, you know, that, that pretty much, in my eyes, uh, means that he's worthy of that award. Uh, he's done it in the past, in 2012. Um, I don't see why not this year. But you got to give credit to Cole. You know, he really, he's pushed Verlander. Um, Cole leads in strikeouts, earned runs, uh, which is ERA. Um, you know, uh, his uh, record is uh, 20 and 5, uh, with a 2.50 uh, ERA, 326 strikeouts, and a whip of uh, 0.895. Um, you know, you'd give the win column to uh, Verlander with one win. Uh, one more win than what Cole has uh, but uh, from where I look at it if, if I was to go with Cole besides Verlander I'd say I'd give it to Cole because you know if he got less run support than Verlander did that's a pretty uh, it's a pretty tough thing to deal with especially for pitching so you know whoever wins this uh, they're well deserving well I mean I'll tell you the Houston Astros have had some incredible success. So, how do you think they're going to fare in the postseason while the postseason gets started? Uh, I think they're going to fare really, really well. Um, you know, they got two dominant aces um, going up against uh, AL Central or not AL Central, excuse me, uh, AL teams. Right. Uh, they're heavy in hitting, and uh, you know, you got the Yankees. You know, you got. Uh, trying to think of the other teams, you know. Um, uh, well, you, you, you've got the, uh, well, you had the Yankees who are always a threat. The Oakland A's and the Tampa Bay Rays are certainly teams that will be interesting. In fact, they're playing tomorrow night. I'll be curious to see what happens there. Yes, yes. And not to mention, you know, you got uh, Blake Snell, who was a former Cy Young winner who won it last year for the Rays. So, right. you know, there's plenty of talent all, all across the board, you know, when you're comparing pitching. Um, but that that is that is the Astros. Uh, one of their strengths besides pitching is hitting. You know, you got Brantley, you got the likes of Altuve. You know, you got uh, uh, Correa. You know, I can go on and on and on. You know, these these guys are loaded up and down. You know, um, they I they're my favorite in the AL to win the World Series this year. Are they? Okay, well that's yes, interesting. Yes. That's really interesting. You really think that they're gonna? be able to uh you really think that the Astros have the ability to go all the way? Yes. I a hundred percent agree. I a hundred percent I set on that happening. Right, well that's that's um, well, I guess you pretty much have gone out on a limb, uh yeah. you know, in terms of and that's good. I like when somebody goes out on a limb and isn't afraid to go out there and put it out there. Yeah. But, but your playoff teams in the American League you have the A's and the Astros as as we've talked about, and the Minnesota Twins. No, they're the other team. How do you think the Minnesota Twins, uh, obviously people saw them in Detroit, uh, will fare during the postseason? I think they're going to fare very well. You know, like you just said, uh, being part of the AL Central, you know, we're home, you know, I'm from Detroit, Michigan, so I've seen them play the Tigers many, many times in the right. playoffs as well. 
And they're a pretty dominant team. I've never seen them not dominant. Um, you know, they've probably had some down years here and there, but like it's been pretty consistent. Um, yeah, they got great hitting. They got Nelson Cruz. Um, you know, they got uh, Miguel Sano. Uh, you, you know, Kyle Gibson. Uh, if, if I think I'm pronouncing his name right, Kyle Gibson is one of their pitchers. He's pretty good. Right. Um, yeah, they got some talent, and that team's hungry. Um, I think they'll fill it fair very well. Well, I, I'll, we'll talk. We'll go on to the California Bill in a moment. I just want to get this last thought in before we graduate to that. I think the New York Yankees and the Minnesota Twins series is going to be one entertaining series against two teams that have a history in the postseason. Much of it, uh, the Yankees have won over the Twins, but I think that uh, if the Yankees pitching can uh, do what it needs to do in the postseason, I see no reason why they uh, won't win, but... Let's not count the Twins out. They had a fine season for sure under first-year manager Rocco Baldelli. With that said, okay, we talked about the California bill, the Fair uh, to Pay Play Act uh, that will be enacted in 2023. Uh, Ohio State University Athletic Director Gene Smith says he won't play California schools, and Florida is now following suit with a bill that they're hoping to get started in July of 2020. So... With that said, with, with that said, Damon, okay, you there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that? I can hear you now. Oh, okay, that's fine. Well, let me go over it again, okay? Uh, we talked about the California Pass Bill 2023. Yeah. We, I think we got to that point. Ohio State University Athletic Director Gene Smith says he won't play California schools, and now Florida's uh, now talking about following suit in 2020. Give me your interpretations of what you think that these bills uh, will bring to the table, let alone that there'll probably be other ones that go ahead with it. Um, I think the bill is a great idea. Um, I, I really, really think that kids are deserving to get paid and being able to, you know, pass it off their name. You know what I mean? Like, um, Kids are suffering in college debt. They're not allowed to have jobs. Um, it's just they're in a scenario where it's constantly getting harder and harder and harder on them and their families. You know, we don't think about the family part of it. We think about the athlete, you know, what he's doing for the school rather than the human being that works behind the scenes, you know, to get where he wants to go in his dreams. Um, you know, uh, watching uh, some media clips, uh, Draymond Green, you know, thinks that the, the NCCAA is a dictatorship. And, you know, you're saying that, you know, uh, once, once they find out that kids uh, are, are, are trying to get paid uh, for the school that they're at, you know, they, they kick them out, you know, and, and they don't let them profit off their name or anything like that. They profit off of them, which it's backwards. It really is. That's, that's his words. And, you know, and I agree with that. Uh, LeBron. You know, they, he said if my name was on the back of those 23 Irish jerseys, you know, uh, they would have sold out the stadium, you know, they would have sold out the arena. And him, him and his mom had nothing, you know, he constantly moved around from city to city, you know, just grew up poor, and, you know, but that's what built the character. But uh, I think it's right to pay these kids. Well, you, you said it, and I'm going to go ahead and continue with that, okay? And that's yeah. this. These kids have student loans, okay, and they're piling up. And unless they're able to go ahead 
and at least be able to uh, pay some of them off or save their money. That's one thing. But with all these stupid rules violations where you're not a, these kids, not all of them come from wealthy families, can't even buy a bag of groceries, and the NCAA has all these stupid minor infractions. That's a bunch of baloney. It really is. And I think a lot of... What's that? Yeah. Um, you know, this is a billion dollar corporation, and are you are you telling me that like you can't give up money, some money for these kids to support themselves? It's it's ludicrous. It really is. Right. I mean, think about it. the NCAA is scrambling now because I think they're going to lose their monopoly on the money, and I think they've lost control of this business, and they've been stealing for so long, and and I think the states have said they're not going to put up with this anymore. So I believe that this bill is definitely long overdue. I really do. And, you know, like anything else, I, I mentioned it before. Uh, for them to be able to supplement their money, they only have a one- to four-year window, and the student loans, being able to buy groceries. And when you think about it, I think the pay is for each student will depend on each sport because obviously you're not going to give a lower revenue sports as much money, I don't think. There's a lot of the bigger ones, although you never know. Swimming could probably surprise you a little bit, you know. But, you know, I, I think overall this this is something. I mean, you know, I, I worked my through, way through college, so I, so therefore I didn't have to avoid the student loans. But what, so, you know, when you look at working your way through college and other students are able to supplement their in- income, I think everybody should be treated on a, on the, an even playing field, and I think that's where the NCAA has gone wrong for so long. Uh, yes, yes, and you know it, it, it'll encourage kids to stay in school too. You know, right. a lot of these athletes they they go to the NFL. You know, they're very talented, or the NBA, or NHL, or whatever, or what have you. They go, they go to the pro level, and, and, and some of them it doesn't quite work out. And then you know they're they're trying to find something to fall back on, whether it's coaching or whether it's you know their degree that they got from their, their college. And you know it just gives them more options options for the future. And that that that's all you can ask for for any human being on earth is to have the future, to have the possibility to accomplish their dreams. So you know I'm all for the better the betterment of uh, people and, and you know uh, student athletes especially and just. Uh, an average you know, so. You know, that's a good point, okay? Lots of guys are leaving after their first and second year because yeah. many years ago, Damon, they call it the hardship when they were able to leave earlier than leagues became more and more laps, uh, lax with it. But well, think about those guys that are declaring for their drafts a little bit earlier before they're ready. I think in an indirect sense, this benefits the universities overall, largely because of the fact that, you know, they won't be thinking about jumping ship early, you know, in that sense. So, yeah, they, they could keep these players better and and longer. And when you think about the other alternatives out there, you know, the NBA, in a couple of years, they're getting, that one-and-done rule is going to be out of there. But what about these guys that are not ready to... Uh, play professionally yet? Where do they go? You know, they uh, they leave, like you just said, a one done year, and then they leave, and they go to the pros, it doesn't work out, and, you know, they're, they're looking for something to do with their life, you know, and it's, it's very sad. Um, you know, you look at Greg Oden, you know, he had those playing problems, but, like, you know, he wasn't ready to come out, you know, come out to the pros, 
um, you know, they just uh, just left. They're lost. You know, they're having what they're, they they love taken away from them in a way. So it's very sad. Yeah, well, it is, and not not only that. When you look at this issue and break it down in its entirety, okay, again, let's talk about basketball for a moment. You have the um, G League, okay, or Gatorade League, whatever it's called, the NBA Development League. They change it all the time. Uh, The NBA's made some good steps to at least have that developmental league, and if that isn't good enough, Australia is offering some of these guys money to play down there, so they've got another place to go. And of course, they have NBA, uh, these guys are playing in Europe. So, you know, the NBA's done a good job coming up with a feeder system so that these guys have a place to go. But only the fortunate and the talented are able to go. That's number one. Yeah. Now you're yeah. finding in the in football, you've got too bad the Alliance of American Football League failed, but now you have the XFL starting up in the fall of rather the spring of 2020 but again that's only so limited as well yeah um you know you also think about the big three you know ice cube creating that league for you know retired and non-retired players you know um, right you know, players that want to retire but you know the signing of joe johnson you know uh to the Pistons. so uh he really showed that he still has the, the sharp shooting skills that he had when he was young um you know it's just uh it's just uh, a way for players to keep their, you know, hopes and dreams alive. You know, you think about, you know, Jimmer Fredette from uh, BYU and trying to accomplish his dream. You know, all these things. Minor League affiliates for baseball, Tim Tebow, you know, him quitting football to pursue his baseball dreams. You know, like Michael Jordan did with the NBA to go, you know, uh, to be in the NBA and want to have a baseball career too as well. So, you know, tons of platforms that are being utilized for the betterment of people and athletes. And, um, you know, uh, it's a great thing. Well, Jimmer, for that was a beneficiary of being able to play in China to get his game back in order. Steve Francis and Stefan Marbury have done well in China as well and never really yeah. came back. And I think yeah. baseball has the best feeder system of them all where they have the minor yeah. league, so they're okay. I think the only thing is with baseball is... You can come out as a high school to turn pro earlier, or if you go to college, then I think you have to have a two or three year commitment. So I think baseball has it figured out better than any of them. Hockey, well, come on, I mean you've got more uh, feeder systems. You can play in Europe, you can play in Canada, you can play wherever you want. And at some point, if you're good enough, you make it. At some point, you don't. You could still be in the minor leagues for a while. So there's a lot of development there. I think a lot of these rules really come into play when with leagues that are lacking developmental leagues and that's where they need to go. And once again, we're circling around this issue, but we're going to circle back to it as I do believe that being able to gain some income, some kind of income in college, uh, makes it more simple than it has been in the past.
you know, uh, team or the Red Wings or, or whoever it is. You know what I mean? So it's it's great. I think I think the NCAA needs to do something like that with other sports. Um, you know, and, and so with players getting paid, you know, in the future, I think it's a great idea. And I think it's a big step forward. Well, I think the one thing I really like about the uh, the NCAA and NBA situation is they have an opportunity to go ahead and let them declare for the draft. If they get the right information, they can come back, providing that they haven't hired an agent. So I will say basketball does have it right in that sense. I really do believe that. And, uh, you know, more uh, so I give them credit for that. And I'll be glad to see the one and done go because you certainly don't want a guy going to school for one year just to buy time. I, I just think that uh, that rule was thrown out there, but I can see them getting that straightened out. And that's something that has to be uh, discussed. I'm glad we talked about this issue. So, Damon, with that said, okay, are there any other things that you'd like to talk about on your first program out here? Um, yeah, uh, I was also thinking about the Antonio Brown situation. Um, okay. Okay, so what, so what do you want to tell me about it? Um, I, I was I was thinking about the angle about like how you know that's that's kind of ludicrous, and I don't think that you know he should be able to retain that money. And um, you know, I just wanted your opinion about it. And, you know, well, Antonio Brown isn't getting a dime. Number one. Oakland Raiders voided his contract, no matter how many lawyers he thinks he's going to get in to review it. Anytime you yeah. have conduct that's like that, where it's all on t- tape, where a guy's running out of his house, being glad to get out of the Raiders prison, even though he worked his way out of there, the Raiders aren't coughing up a check. Listen, you're talking about the Raiders who didn't want to spend $500,000, okay, to play a preseason game in Oakland. So where do they go? They go to Winnipeg, Manitoba. To play that game, They're, and they also are playing in London this uh, year, I believe, over the weekend, and they're not going to have to pay five hundred thousand dollars in uh-huh. rent there. So you're talking about a million dollars in save rent, and why? And they've already given him like a million already, if that. He didn't get anything out of the Raiders. I mean, he made himself look like a complete clown. about this too, Damon. The guy's not getting any money out of the crafts after he went out there and burned his bridge there in the worst way. He was told not to do anything stupid. They knew about his previous things, but then he sends his accuser text messages while he's with the team. What what recourse does he have there? Right. You know, uh, um, it's just, it's not cool. It's, it's not, you know, you have tons of people believing you, believing in you to get better. You go and do this, and it's, it's really messed up. 
well, was messed up as number one and burned his bridge out of Pittsburgh, which tolerated him the longest. How he screwed up the Raiders situation is anybody's guess. And we know that the situation with New England turned out to be quick work. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. what else can I tell you? I mean, the reality of the situation is that Antonio Brown is going to get blackballed in this league. He really is going to get blackballed in this league. And uh, I just don't see a situation where he ever gets in. And I, I don't know. I think he's running out of places to go. So uh, any any other things you want to add uh, while we uh, have an opportunity to uh, close out the uh, radio program? So, you know, yep. we talked about the American League really quickly, okay? But how do you size up the National League? Yeah, I mean, and, and just so f- folks that are listening to us right now, uh, an update here. That Max Scherzer has been replaced by Steven Strasburg. The Milwaukee Brewers currently lead the Washington Nationals by a score of 3-1. to one. That's the top of the uh, six-inning score. So do you find that to be surprising that the Brewers have had some good success despite uh, the reigning MVP, Christian Yelich, uh, being out of action? You know, you take the words right out of my mouth. You know, I, I, would, I, I thought that, like, hard in that team for them to deal with that injury. Yelich is having a hell of a year, excuse my language, but it, it's true. Um, but, you know, they got, you know, uh, Lorenzo Kane, you know, the former Royal, you know, we know plenty of him. Um, he's been dominant. Uh, you look at uh, Ryan Braun, um, you know, and Mike Moustakis, you know, they got some heavy hitters that can replace Yelich, uh, not replace his production, but can fill in for his injury and you know, they're doing it. And, you know, and they got Chris Hader, one of the best closers in the league. You know, so they, they got some players that can step up, you know, and the next guy up. It's just, it's with any team. When you have a big injury, it's the next guy, it's the next guy right. up, you know, and they have to do that to be dominant. Yeah, good point. You know? When you talk about Josh Hader, uh, he's the type. That's okay. Yep. Josh Hader is the type yep. of guy that can go two innings strong, and he always reminded me of the. He's always reminded me of the old school closer like Rich Gossage, Raleigh Fingers, guys that could go multiple innings. And I think that, especially when you get to the postseason, Hader's actually been utilized well enough to be able to uh, take a team later to shorten the bullpen. Because, you know, when you get to these big games here, then you definitely have to go ahead and uh, 
be prepared. But with that said, uh, Damon, want to thank you very much for being on the Sports Exchange. We look forward to hopefully having you on Thursday night. So be prepared to go back to work on Thursday night. All right, Damon? Very cool. I appreciate the scoop. Uh, it was uh, great to have me on. All right, well, listen, we appreciate you being on the program, and uh, we'll talk uh, immediately uh, after the broadcast so we can set things up. Okay, buddy? All right, cool. Sounds good, Scoop. I appreciate it. Yep. All right, thank you very much, Damon, for being on the Sports Exchange. Uh, so with that said, okay, uh, you know, that, that concludes tonight's program. Here with the Sports Exchange, we want to thank all of our guests, uh, Ryan Skullroot, Anthony Wood, Mel Farr, and, of course, Damon Knight for being on the show. So thank you very much, Damon. You have yourself a good night, okay? You too. All right, thank you. Yep. So we'll be broadcasting again on Thursday night at 8 o'clock Eastern time. If there are any program changes, we'll certainly uh, let you know about it. But right now it appears 8 o'clock Eastern time is what we're, uh, what we're set to do. So meanwhile, everybody... Uh, enjoy the uh, Brewers game against the Nationals, and we look forward to coming back in about 22 hours from now. So everybody have a good evening, and we will be back on Thursday. Good night, everybody. Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Right now, when you come in and switch to T-Mobile, you get the amazing iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. Ah, aren't these mountains majestic? Joe, are you even looking? I'm posting these amazing pics I took with my iPhone 11 Pro. It has three cameras. Whoa, those pics are amazing. And you have service too? T-Mobile. Their newest signal goes farther than ever before. Uh, then you can look up whether these are bear tracks, right? Or we could just run. Come to a T-Mobile store today and get iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. And right now, get four lines for just 30 bucks a line with AutoPay. Switch today. Contact us if you cancel or credits may stop in full price due, plus taxes and fees via 24 monthly credits for well-qualified customers with qualifying service and finance agreement. Zero down with trade-in plus 3125 times 24 months. Pre-credit price 999.99. 0% APR while supplies last.